0: Second Corinthians chapter four. I think I want to start in verse sixteen. Before we read that, you know, and I just ugh. talking about persecution is is a, it's a difficult, at least for me, it's a difficult topic, um, because it can be taken in the wrong light. That it could we could move it into the direction where being a Christian isn't joyful, or that it's just always doom and gloom but it's not and in this passage i mean in, in in this beatitude there's i think there's a reason why jesus says rejoice and be glad even in the midst of hard times and then there's also that there's that that chance that we go, and as we spoke of this morning, go and look for it, which isn't, that's not the case. It's, it's something that happens because, and I guess we didn't really talk about this this morning, because we've been cut, as Christians, we've been cut out of the world. We've been cut out of the world, not physically, but spiritually in a miraculous way, we can liken it to the conflict that you endure every day between your flesh and your spirit. The flesh and the spirit. That the miraculous new birth coming into a sinner, the presence of God dwelling there, and with those two things there, there's automatically this battle per se. They're not they're not meshing up, right? Because we've got sin and holiness in one place. This is the same idea with persecution for saints in this world. The presence of God in this in the Christian. But still living in a world of sin around a group of sinners. So it's, it, it's going to happen. And it's based on the reality that you have the presence of God within you. And the people who persecute you don't. That's kind of like where the rubber meets the road on this persecution stuff. If you act like the Spirit of God is in you, you're going to get pushback from the people who don't have the Spirit of God in them. And so we got to have to just keep that in mind. And I, I really think if we don't always come back to this realization that being a Christian is a supernatural thing and that it's just like well we're the people who gather together on Sundays in this thing called the church and we follow this person called Jesus. The other people out there they don't, they haven't made that decision to do that. Maybe they have their other thing or this or that. No, no, no. The supernatural has taken place. God himself has moved and Bought us, adopted us, caused us to be something different than what we once were. And that is why we gather together. That is why we act the way we act, because of the work of God. And so we have to, when we think about the way we live our lives or why we do things the way we do, we have to always come back to the realization that it's, this isn't just. A club that we like-minded people come together. No, we have been brought together by the blood of Christ. We have been we have been joined together on the basis of God's grace. And this is a miracle. It's a miracle. And so we got to keep that in mind when we think about these issues of how we live. Or why we do what we do. Um, so I, I want us to kind of focus, but I, I got us in Second Corinthians four because I want us to see how it kind of mirrors what Jesus says here to some degree. So while you're, before we read that, let me just reread eleven and twelve in Matthew for you. Okay, so just keep keep that, stay there at Second Corinthians four, and just listen. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Okay, that's bad stuff. Bad things are happening to you. That's what that is saying. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. Let's stop there rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So tonight I want us to really focus on what is driving us to endure in this type of environment, okay? What keeps us going? Um, now okay, 2 Corinthians 4. And I and I'll be honest, you could take 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 and 18. And if you're having a hard time in life, you can come to these three verses. I promise. I promise. I don't care what's going on in your life. If you're having a hard time in life, come to 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 17 and 18. So, verse 16. So we do not lose heart means we don't give up. We're not defeated. Though our outer self is wasting away, along with everything else around us too, keep in mind, the our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now let me stop here. Because I didn't mention this this morning either. Persecution is actually a grace of God towards the saint, towards the believer. Meaning, he uses it to build you up. Let me say that again. Persecution is just, it's a type of suffering that God uses in order to do good to you. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. It's kind of like what we were talking about in Sunday school, with, so the idea with the um, refiner's fire has its good illustrations and its bad illustrations. The one we kind of used this morning was that, that more of a judgment, like the dross is is the ones that are be- the people that are being wiped away. But you can also take it at an internal level per person, and then the 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 what God wants to do to you is make you more pure. And the way you make gold or metal more pure is to crank up the heat, right? To crank up that heat, because what happens when you crank up that heat? And then we see in the illustration the dross, the impurities, come to the top, and then the, whoever's the, the the goldsmith or whatever can wipe away the dross, and that after that heat was applied, that dross was removed. That that gold, that metal is more pure than it was before the fire was turned up. Persecution is is hot. And it is one thing that God uses to make His saints more holy, to make them more like Christ. And I think... I'm I'm getting a little sidetracked, but I'm going to try this anyway. I think that is one of the... uh, one of the soil and the seeds some somebody got to know that pat that chapter by heart where's the 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 four soils uh, i'm going to have it right here in just a second here we go Listen to this. For the soil that was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, now remember that's the beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted on account of righteousness or for the sake of Christ. When persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So, when persecution comes, it is it is not it is just it's not just testing. And that's that's actually another word that they use for purifying metal, testing. It's testing that which is within. And for the believer, Thanks be to God, it's the Spirit of God. But for that, that one who has heard and received it with joy and has, but has no root, when the persecution comes, they're gone. Reveals no union, no connection, no root to Christ. Gone. Persecution is a grace of God for those who have the Spirit of God. That's what makes it so difficult too to talk about this. It just that doesn't seem it just seems backwards. but that's the way that the Lord is use, it's crazy. The, the Lord uses the wickedness of the world for the betterment of His saints. And it's like, well, the, the passage this morning, who can understand this? Who could figure who could write this? Who could do this but God himself? But God Himself. Okay, uh, we chased that rabbit long enough. Back to 2 Corinthians 4. Though the inner self is wasting away, our, our, the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, now verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction... Cancer, light momentary affliction. Death and family, light momentary affliction. Persecution by the world, light momentary affliction. Now, for someone outside of Christ, they are weighted down completely by those things. That is a heavy burden that they could not bear at all. But for a believer who has... A reward they are waiting on. They have the uh, the love of Christ. These things the world throws at us are light and momentary. Light and momentary. Look what it's doing. This light and momentary affliction is preparing us. That's God using these things. Preparing us for an eternal, okay, light and momentary, eternal, this eternal weight of glory. And he goes even further, beyond all comparison. And that's why Paul, in this letter, he's like, man, I've got this thorn in my side. I asked God three times to take it away. He said, nope, nope, and nope. And do you know why? Because He said, my grace is sufficient for you. See, we could take, like I said, you could take this and apply it to any trouble in your life. But we're looking at it right now for the sake of persecution of the world and hatred and revile towards Christians but this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen... For the things that are seen are transient, meaning they end. They have an end point. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Cancer has an end point. Your enemy who persecutes you, reviles you, they have an end point. But the crazy thing is, again, all of these afflictions are preparing us for something greater that is forever. And let's just throw it out there. To be in the presence of God. To be in the presence of God. So this, our motivation to endure is that very thing that we are waiting for this eternal weight of glory that nothing can compare to nothing nothing can make you hopeless Uh, nothing can make you um, uh, depressed beyond uh, without joy I should say Because we have this thing that we are looking towards, and that is being in the presence of God for all eternity. So what I want to do for a few minutes here is I want us to see two examples of this working itself out within the apostles and and Acts. Acts chapter 4, let's start there. So Acts chapter four, uh, believe it's Peter and John are arrested, basically for healing a man and then preaching Christ. They're arrested for healing a man and preaching Christ. They are threatened by the council. They are threatened by the council not to speak this name anymore. It says, they called and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Okay? So, let me tell you what they said, and then we'll read in verse 23 the church's response. But here's what Peter and John says in verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. Uh, look at verse 23. Paul and Paul, uh, Peter and John get released and basically go back to uh, their group of believers. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. So they've been persecuted. That's, that's apparent. And when they heard it, when their friends heard of what had happened, they lifted their voice together to God and said, so they decided to pray. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So let's stop there. Paul or Peter, and Jane, or Peter and John have just been persecuted, arrested, and threatened. And their friends, these believers, they call out to a sovereign God who made the heavens and earth and sea and everything in it. Basically, say, You're in charge. And if persecution comes, we know that this isn't something outside of your hand and your rule and your reach. You are God over all things. Um They quote David and say, Why did the Gentiles rage and did the, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So end of quote end of old Testament quote, verse twenty seven for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they can take heart in knowing that the, the worst persecution of all time of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion was not outside of the hand of God, but was planned by God. So then, what? is to say about their persecution. It's in God's hands. This is not outside of His sovereign rule. Actually, it is completely His rule and plan. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look unto their threats. Listen to that. Now, Lord, look unto their threats and grant to your servants... To continue to speak your word with all boldness. Wow. That's something else. Knowing the threats, they ask God to grant them the ability to continue to speak in boldness. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus... And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And if you read the rest of four, it's as if they become more unified after this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I'd like to think that they had everything in common because they had the most important thing in common, Christ. And they understood the value of Christ as a church. Turn to Acts 16 now. Uh, Acts sixteen verse sixteen. So we got Paul and Silas. They're on their um, they're on their journeys from from city to city, preaching the gospel. Verse sixteen. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. I think that's an important uh, comment. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. See, Paul was a human as well. He wasn't completely sinless. I'm sure he was quite perturbed by this. Paul, being greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners, remember, her owners who were brought much gain by her demon spirits, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they just lost their business, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received their, this order, he put them in the inter prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So the first thing to notice is what we talked about in the beginning here is this difference of a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God dwelling in in, in, his, um, in his people, dwelling in the midst of sinners, What was their purpose? Their purpose, these owners of this woman, were completely of this world. They had no sight of any reward that was to come. They wanted their gain, their reward, and they wanted it now. Well, that's really the opposite of what Jesus is saying in this beatitude. For your reward is great, not now, but in heaven so we have this contrast that cannot stand. And when these two things tum- come together, in this, in this, especially in this case, hatred, persecution, and I believe they're also reviling them and speaking all things evil falsely against them, as Jesus said in the Beatitude, all for the sake of their own gain. And then they beat them with rods. I don't even, I can't, I don't even want to imagine what that feels like. Like a rod? Here's the interesting part. Let's just read verse 25. Just read it to yourself. They were praying and singing. Don't let that roll past us. Don't let's not miss that. They had just been beaten with rods. They had been reviled, persecuted, and they are in prison. And they are praying and singing. Jesus said in the beatitude, Rejoice and be glad. We complain about what we do in this building. We complain. There is so much. We can... We. I mean, could you imagine? You would think I was sick if I didn't complain. <laughs> and, I'm sorry. No, no. It, it, we... But you're right, we do complain all the time. All the I, I, things. Yeah, and I'd hate to know how I would feel <coughs> trying to preach up here without the A.C. Like, <laughs> But not being beaten with rods for the sake of Christ. You know, I I was once one of those guys that stood in the pews and when the song started I was just, I didn't want to sing anything. I saw my dad not singing. I saw my grandpa didn't sing. So I was like, it must be okay to not sing when you're in church. It breaks my heart when we are together in the name of Christ. in the coolness of the air, protected from the elements, in in this country... cushioned seats and we don't even want to sing I mean, we, the, they prayed and sung hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them the prisoners were listening to them they knew what just happened to these guys they knew exactly what happened to these guys And they're probably thinking, they're out of their, are they out of their mind? Suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. What a story. What a story. What is the reason Paul and Silas sings and prays in prison? Well, thank you for asking. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and find out. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is where the rubber meets the road. Why can Paul face this immense persecution, get up and go back in? Why can he sing and pray after being beaten with rods? Verse 12, chapter 1, 1 Timothy. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is, this is the big verse right here. The saying is Trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, I am the chief of sinners. You would be willing. I'm gonna make this statement and then I'm gonna put an asterisk beside it. You will be willing, you would be willing to take on the Roman army if you understood your sin and you understood the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You would be willing to take the hottest of fires, the hardest persecutions, the highest crosses if you knew the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ To you, a wretched sinner. This is the motivation to endure through all things. Whether it be persecution, whether it be physical suffering, whether it be any sort of lows in this world. The love of Christ is what drives us, what compels us. and it escaped me let me just end on this I'll read this to you so the question is always so what then how should we move on from this well, we just remember Hebrews 12 1 through 3 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and these witnesses are are prophets, are apostles, who have endured, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What do you need to do tonight? What do you need to do tomorrow? Verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. How how did he get through his persecution? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Look to Jesus. Consider Christ. Preach to yourself every day, as long as you are alive, the work of Christ, the gospel. Remind yourself. What God has done for you by the blood of Christ. That will keep us focused on moving forward, our motivation to endure anything this world throws at us. Anything. Praise be to God. Let's pray.